dance how he dances too. Let me see. It's easy. It's the Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy. Hello and welcome to Popcorn Digest with me, Gareth Green, and my co-host, Jellicle Andrew. My eyes! My (laughs) eyes! Oh, I apologise so much for today. (laughs) So, for this week's episode, we're doing something a little differently, and that requires a disclaimer on our part. Now, when you listen to Popcorn Digest, our podcast, I like to think that you'll gain a modicum of insight about film, learn a new fact, or simply enjoy yourself for an hour or so. But what we present you with today is not a normal podcast episode. No, what we present is an audible nervous breakdown. It's an existential crisis shared by two simple movie fans that have stared into the unknown depths of madness and found it staring back. (laughs) And in that madness, we had a single terrible word. Meow. That's right, we're reviewing Cats! But before we lose our fucking minds, it's time to roll the trailer. (laughs) and Rebel Wilson are cats. Well, that's all the introduction that this fucking film needs, so... <laughs> Andy, what did you think of Cats? Is this your first dance with the cat? Well, of the film version, yes. Of the musical, no. The musical goes way back for me. I have a very strong relationship with the musical Cats. Oh, really? Yeah. You've had a cat or two in your lifetime. I would go as far to say that the musical is actually a, a keystone of my childhood. Oh, wow. So you're approaching this film from a very personal level. Yeah, very personal. Great. And how did this film, how did it resonate with you? Uh, Not well. (laughs) (laughs) Not well, Gareth. (laughs) I will say that I have no knowledge whatsoever about the musical Cats. I am simply approaching this film as a musical. I don't particularly like musicals. But do you want to know a strange fact about this film? Uh, Yeah. I fucking love it. It's terrible, <laughs> but I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah. I went to the cinema to see this film with my brother just simply because the trailer looked so bad. <laughs> and I laughed at this film more than I've laughed at any comedy in the past decade. And I walked out thinking that I'd broken a rib. <laughs> I lost myself to a certain kind of madness for an hour and 40 minutes when I watched that film with my brother. And I was sure that I was going to get thrown out of the cinema. This is my experience with Cats. I have no other prior knowledge of it. I'm not bringing any baggage to this. But yeah, it's one of the best train wrecks made for $100 million that I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, it's quite something. (laughs) It, It really is. It really is. I'm watching it again in 4K from the comfort of my own home. I was wondering if it was still going to recapture some of that awful, awful 
pooey magic. <laughs> and it really did. I ended up live tweeting the first half an hour, 40 minutes of the film. And what should have taken me an hour and 40 minutes to watch actually ended up taking me about two and a half hours because I just simply <laughs> kept rewinding it. Oh, dear. No, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> That's okay. So you're going to be my crutch during this episode mm-hmm. then, Andy. I will say that I am the one that recommended Cats to review on this podcast because I thought for this block of episodes, then let's try and review a few films that we wouldn't normally do on Best Forgotten Movies. Mm -hmm. This kind of would be fit right in place considering that it only came out last year and it's already been somewhat Yeah, it's been brushed under the carpet, yeah. (laughs) But it's not normal type that we would choose. So I've put this forward because, yeah, I really have a lot to say about Cats and particularly Tom Hooper as well. Mm -hmm. That's a phrase I never thought I would ever utter in my lifetime. I have a lot to say about Cats. I have an opinion about Cats. So, Andy, you're going to be my crutch. I'm going to be leaning Mm -hmm. on you to know. I guess really the question that I'm going to be asking is... Because after having seen the film, I still have a question at the forefront of my mind. What is Cats? I have an idea of what the stage musical is. And I guess my idea of it is that it's not a particular story, but it's more of like a variety show with Cats. Yeah, I mean, this film kind of angered and frustrated me at how poorly they interpreted the mechanics of the show and also what they jettisoned yeah. to make a film version, how completely they misunderstood what the whole thing was about anyway, because Cats as a musical is not a traditional musical in the classic sense. It's it's something else in entirely. I'd say it's very unique in the genre. Yeah. So to boil it down to a nutshell, the original inception of this project is a book by T.S. Eliot called Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, which is a a short collection of poems written by T.S. Eliot for his godchildren in the 30s. Mm -hmm. And it's just a light-hearted, whimsical look at different cats. It's kind of a mirror on different job types and societal roles, personified through different cats, and there's lots of wordplay and things like that. Yeah. Numerous attempts had been made to set these poems to music over the years, I think, something in, in the 50s and, and whatever. And then, yeah, in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, Andrew Lloyd Webber had the idea to make something out of these poems. Now, originally, it wasn't intended to be the big musical that it was. It was supposed to be a chamber piece, a, a song cycle. And that's probably the best way to describe Cats. It's a song cycle. And it was supposed to be a chamber piece performed by five or so actors, interchangeable parts. And then as numerous people got on board, it just grew and grew and grew and became something else entirely. There was a long period of development and improvisation. And there was a lot riding on it because uh, Angela Weber put a lot of his own money into it. And he basically said if it had been a a failure, he would have been financially ruined. He, He put a lot of his own money into investing in the show and and the staging and renting the theater and everything yeah but in a nutshell what it grew into is a a song cycle that's presented through the medium of dance really it's it's a dance piece uh it's more like a a cross between a a ballet and a, a musical review it's it's one of those things in a way not having a story is what makes it work because when you're watching the show you're under no illusions that it's a a narrative-based show. So mm-hmm. with the film trying to shove a narrative into it, it actually makes it a lot worse because it's 
pointing the finger that say this film doesn't have a narrative. Yeah. When it doesn't need one. But also it highlights the bigger question, which I think we need to be asking today, is a film version of Cats necessary? Mm-hmm. I think that's the crux of the issue here. Just to interrupt you there, I did read on Twitter somebody describe the narrative of Cats succinctly as I've ever seen it before. They described it as 20 cats introduce themselves, then one of them dies. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that that is correct in terms of the narrative of the show? If you're treating it as a narrative piece, then yes. But in the way that the show is executed in the stage version, that doesn't matter. It's almost irrelevant because it's not about that at all. It's about exploring these different cats' characters and the umbrella story is just there to hold it together, to just give it some sort of structure and climax. That's all it's there for. And it's got nothing to do with the book of poems because that's it's something that was completely invented in, and developed for the show. Yeah. When you're watching the show, it really doesn't matter at all about having a story. Like I said, it's not a traditional musical and it's more of an experience than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I probably should go into this when we actually start talking about the staging because th- this is another huge bone of contention I have with the film. Like, I genuinely feel that Tom Hooper never saw the show at all. I don't think he's ever seen the show properly. You might have watched the 98 video, which, although evokes memories of the original cat, it's absolutely nothing like watching the show in London in its original location. And I'll go into yeah. that in a bit as to why it's so different. I think that's the key as to why it worked initially. But I generally don't think he's watched the show at all, or at least he doesn't understand it anyway. And yeah, it actually genuinely angered me how he just didn't seem to give a shit about what made the original show good. I can hear the rage in your voice. It's on one of those occasions where I can actually hear when you're angry. I can always tell. And I can hear it just like underneath the surface. It's it's really gotten to you, this film. Just its awfulness. Yeah, I mean, not that Cats should be made into a film because it, it absolutely shouldn't. It's not suitable at all. It's it's a performance piece. I honestly think that this was going to be my thesis of the entire episode. That was yeah. going to be my entire point was it seems like they tried to translate something into film that should never have been translated no. into film. No. Whether you like Cats or not, and I completely understand if it's not anyone's cup of tea, even the original version of the show, yeah. it is something that is meant to be experienced live in the theatre, and I'm using theatre very loosely when talking about the original version, and it's all about being in the moment in that environment. Yeah, I have seen Cats described online as being both the best and the worst aspects of Broadway. Sorry, the West End, I must, I should mm-hmm. say, rather than Broadway. It's the best and worst of the West End. And it's if you yeah. buy into one section of the West End, this is going to have everything that you've ever wanted from a production. But if that's not your cup of tea, you're going to hate it. Yeah. Is what I saw it described as at the time, I think, of release. From what I've read online, it wasn't fondly regarded initially by critics, no. but it had a massive fan gathering yep. like people really responded to it in a big way to put it in a film perspective it's the musical equivalent of jaws oh right yes so it's the first blockbuster musical and all the other shows especially all the shows created during the 80s so your phantom of the operas your les mis you miss saigon's starlight express yeah all those shows and on all the ones that followed really that highlighting of the musical as a a popular thing, a long-running thing within the West End and Broadway. 
is attributed to Cats. It was the first of its kind because up until that point, musicals were popular. They had been popular much earlier on. They kind of died a death in the 60s and 70s. The staging wasn't so good. No. Limited runs, all that kind of stuff. And this was the first one to light a fire and reinvigorate the musical which is kind of strange because it isn't a traditional musical in that sense. But yeah, yeah, it started a uh, a resurgence and revitalization of the West End. So that's some information in regards to the musical. Now, I will say as well that this version of Cats, it's not the first time that a Cats production in film has been attempted to have been made. Yeah, yeah. I did read online that actually, as you would have seen at the very beginning of this film, if you are one of the seven people that have seen it... <laughs> <laughs> The, the Amblin logo is there, and it actually has ties to Amblin. With originally in the, I think it was the late 1980s, they originally planned to make it as an animation following the success of Five or Goals West. Yeah, it's an early 90s. Oh, yes, of course, because it's just before they went bust, before Amblimation. Yeah, Amblimation, yeah. The one. I was struggling over that word then. <laughs> that was a British-based animation studio. Wait. Yeah, all those films were made in Britain. I had no idea about that. They're, yeah. So they're British made. They're not yep. American based. I've always assumed just because of the name and the connection to Steven Spielberg that they were American based films. Wow, that's news to me. I actually met somebody involved in those films uh, a long time ago. I think Exeter, where I used to live, they had a, an animation festival. A guy there, he used to work for uh, Amblimation. Yeah, he works on all those films. So that was quite interesting to hear him speak. But yeah, they're all British-based films. And yeah, they did, uh, I think, three films in total. Five Goes West. Yeah. We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. Ooh. And Balto. Oh, Balto, yeah. Balto was their last one. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Cats was originally meant to follow Balto. Yeah. And the studio went bust before they got to make it. All that exists is concept art, really. I don't think they started anything. I don't think that Cats should ever have been made into a film, but I actually think if it had been, then animation would have suited it better in terms of buying into the world that they present. Completely, yeah. In a way, what we are left with with Tom Hooper's version is some weird fucked up kind of animation. <laughs> That's neither, it's like this middle ground cross between an animated version could do that's incredibly stylized and cartoonish in its characters and then also very human and grounded. Like they try and mix those two and create something that's a bit like Frankenstein's monster. And I think that would be the way to go, just to go all in and make them animated cats. Yeah. Because, yeah, the film exists in a strange middle ground because in the original show, the design and execution of the cats themselves is more suggestive than actual. So... The way that the um, the costumes were designed, it was like a unitard mm -hmm. with a headpiece that only had a suggestion of ears. A lot of it was down to the physicality of the actors playing the cats. It is weird, I must say, that I've never seen a, a single frame of the stage show. I've never seen anything of it. I know that it's been released on DVD and whatnot mm -hmm. during the 90s or the early 2000s, but mm -hmm. I've never seen a single frame of it. And yet, I know what the cats in that production look like. Yeah, I, yeah. Because they are quite iconic. Yeah. And I yeah. know that they are parodied in things like The Office as well, but <laughs> I know what they look like, and I know what that set looks like, having never seen it. And it's weird watching this film, because it's like they haven't really already made there in terms of the looks of these characters, how they can do it. And they fuck it up so badly. Yeah, yeah. It's because they've gone too real. They've tried to make them these human-cat hybrids that 
Uh, I mean, this is something for us to go into a little bit later, but I don't understand how you could fuck it up so badly when you've got something that works so well already and something that's already so iconic right there yeah. looking at you. Yeah, it's a suggestive piece. It's not meant to represent anything realistic. Yeah. I mean, I watched a clip of the 98 version on YouTube yesterday and the comments section was wonderful <laughs> because... Oh, sorry. For a second then, I thought you said the clip of the... Uh... The trailer. And oh, I was no, going to say, no, no. I, I was reading the comments of the Cats trailer yesterday, and the YouTube comments were not what I would describe as wonderful. I mean, wonderful in the sense that people making comments on the, the clip from the 98 version, yeah. filmed version of the show, were obviously very passionate about the original stage version and the 98 film, because it's directly lifted from the stage version. Yeah. But every single comment was negative towards the film. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody summed up very succinctly with regards to the presentation of the cats. And they basically said that Cats 1981 is people playing cats. Yeah. And Cats 2019 is cats playing people. Ooh, yeah. And uh, I think that's, yeah, that that's hitting the nail on the head. There's something very weird going on with not just the design, but how the CG of the cats was implemented. And oh yeah, I think we need to maybe say up front that I bear absolutely no grudge or annoyance whatsoever with anybody involved in the CG. Yes, I will say this is going to be a an episode of the podcast where we do talk about the visual effects rather negatively and throughout. But from everything that I know about this film, the issue was never to do with the visual effects departments that were brought onto that film. And they've actually bore the brunt of the yeah. negative impact of this film, yeah. which I absolutely find despicable, especially mm. because it really stems all the way back to the director who yeah. thinks he's some sort of visual effects whiz. I will say that he has very strong opinions about how to make certain types of films that always negatively impact those films. But he thinks it's clever. It gives him an edge or something like that. Like, yeah. for example, for Les Mis and this, the recording on set for all of the actors rather than doing any of the recording of the music in a controlled environment. I'll go on about that later. That fucking annoyed me, like, so fucking much. And then you've got also the disservice that he's done to all of the visual effects artists by making their job so yeah. much harder by not allowing the actors to wear the appropriate suits and the tracking suits for very intricate and complicated scenes yeah. with multiple characters. I think any visual flaw in this film starts and ends with the director. Yeah, and I will say, I mentioned this to you last night in a text message that I sent to you, and I did want to just say this up front, is that one of the famous sayings amongst critics and filmmakers when it comes to bad films is, it takes a great filmmaker to make a film this bad. And I think with Cats, actually, it takes... A filmmaker that thinks he's great to make a film <laughs> as bad as Cats. Yeah. When I look at Cats, I can only see an ego. Yeah. Yeah. So I do just have uh, a couple more pieces of context as well for the actual film version. Mm. One of the things I did want to mention in regards to the director is um, prior to him signing onto Cats, somebody that I speak to online sent me a link to a Hollywood round table. And on it is Tom Hooper and Ridley Scott. I think it's around the time of the King's Speech or maybe Les Mis. And at one point, Ridley Scott refers to Tom Hooper as a highbrow filmmaker and, and not a filmmaker of like the people like Ridley Scott regards himself as, which right. I absolutely can see. Yeah, And you can see that Tom Hooper is visibly offended. There's nothing said, but you can see it in the look that he gives Ridley Scott. And I think Cat is his reaction to that comment 
this is Tom Hooper saying, yeah, I can do this. This is my film of the people. I can make something that's silly and enjoyable and irreverent and chirpy. And no, no, he can't. <laughs> uh, so to give some information about Tom Hooper, Les Mis had come out several years earlier. It was a huge success in terms of the box office. It was middling with critics, I remember, because he shoots his films very weirdly. And uh, and once more, again, music being recorded on set as well. That was a, a point of contention for a lot of critics. But that film was a huge success. And then Universal also had great success with The Greatest Showman. So the pairing of those two people, the uh, Tom Hooper with the studio Universal after The Greatest Showman, Cats, seemed like a surefire hit. And originally Tom Hooper had Anne Hathaway planned for a main role in the film, but that didn't happen. And he also offered a role to Hugh Jackman, but Hugh Jackman said no. I imagine it would have been uh, uh, the Rum Tum Tugger. I imagine Rum Tum Tugger would have been Hugh Jackman's role, because mm-hmm. that's more of the rock and roll uh, role, isn't it? Yeah, and that's a role that's completely sidelined in the film. He features much more prominently in the musical. Is he meant to be like a Mick Jagger type character? Kind of. I was reading in the comments on, I was watching a clip of the Rum Tum Tugger, which happened to be one of my favourite songs as a kid growing up. I was obsessed with the Rum Tum Tugger. Going as far as... <laughs> Wait, think... no, no, sorry. I just, I want to just isolate that piece of audio yeah. forever. I was obsessed <laughs> with the Rum Tum Tugger. That yeah, sounds like it, a 13-year-old locked in his bedroom with a sock. No, no. Th- th- oh, this I don't is... mind, Andy. He's just obsessed with his Rum Tum Tugger. <laughs> th- this is me sort of like aged five to seven, I think, because I watched the... I went to see the show, I think, either late 91 or early 92. It's one of my earliest memories of going to London. Yeah. Between Cats and Style Express, that was all I ever listened to for quite a long period of time. Maybe the Beatles as well. I was sort of those things. But yeah. those two soundtracks for the show is like Highlights from Cats and the new Starlet Express. I knew Starlet Express off by heart for a very short period of time. Uh, and I was very into it at that particular time. I really wanted this to be a success just so that they would do a Starlight <laughs> Express human train hybrid. Oh, fucking no, 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 no. It would have been like some bastardized Thomas the Tank Engine looking motherfucker. Oh, it would have been. It would have been great and horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I love the Rumpton Tugger and I even went as far. I think there was a, you know what they do at, at primary school sometimes when you come in for a day as your favourite literary character? Oh yeah, they do yeah. it at the moment with World Book Day. They call yeah. it and everybody turns up as their favourite character. I think I got my mum to hire me a cat suit and um, <laughs> I came for the day as the Rumpton Tugger and I think I even had the poem laminated for people to read so they knew what I was talking about. Aww. <laughs> was, Aww, so that Andy. was like... Me aged, like, I think age seven at the time. That was more towards the end of my love of cats. I think by the time the yeah. video version came out, I'd completely gone on to other things. But for a very short period of time, sort of ages five to seven, I absolutely loved cats and Starlight Express. So from the sounds of it, you came to school dressed as the horniest character in a very, very horny production <laughs> as a seven-year-old yeah. at primary school. Good luck to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I think that's the one of the big differences between the stage show and the film is that that horniness, I wouldn't say it's not there, but it's not as uh, prominent in the uh, stage musical as it is in the... Um... Yeah, the film is very, very horny. The stage musical is for families and the film is certainly not for families. Now, what what rating is Cats? 18. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's a, I'm going to say PG. 
Yeah, I nearly put it down as a U, uh, but I yeah. think it, it must be PG. Yeah. I went to the cinema and it was full of families as well. Like, people have brought their kids to come see this film. And I was laughing like Max <laughs> Cady in Cape Fear, you know, oh, just dear. really going for it. All these kids are watching. And I remember looking around next to me. There was a, a few kids with the family sat next to me and they looked horrified as well. But at the same time, I was thinking, there's a lot of fetishes being made right here. <laughs> Like, these kids are very impressionable. They're like 12, 13. This is the cusp of puberty for these kids. Yeah. This is setting a bad example. This is a, yeah. some fetishes being set in stone by watching this film. Yeah, I would say from the original stage version, the Rum Tum Tugger is the only character that exudes that sexuality. I read somewhere on the comments um, talking about how Jason Derulo doesn't really channel the original Rum Tum Tugger at all because the original Rum Tum Tugger is evokes memories of someone said the 80s gay thing and i kind of get what they mean there's that it's almost like a glam rock thing with him yeah and there's a certain campness to it mm. like theatrical campness that yeah is very mick jagger i was gonna say like billy idol as well that kind of snarling thing oh yeah that would have been popular at the time of course. And he's the only character in the show that exudes that kind of sexuality. They, the the weird behavior that they have in the film is definitely something that has been built upon yeah. <laughs> by whoever did all the body movement choreography. I only know this from watching the trailer. I don't know the gentleman's name, but it is the person that works on Hamilton, the choreographer that works right, on Hamilton, okay. which is supposed to be a fantastic production. It's certainly one that I would uh, love to see. It's one of the few that I would really love to, to get out there and see, but... And maybe something happened that just doesn't translate to this. Yeah. I mean, we should really allow us to uh, now open up and start talking about the film Cats, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. One of the things that I have mentioned about the film is the existence of a cut of the film called The Butthole Cut. <laughs> now, have you heard of this? I think you mentioned it to me uh, a while ago. Okay, okay, so what happened is we've spoken about the visual effects on this film very briefly, and that's something that we mm. are going to get into. But this story, I think, sums up the issue with the visual effects and all that has happened with this film. So because of the way in which the visual effects were being worked on the film, they ended up with a lot of visual defects when it came to applying textures to the actors because obviously a lot of work was involved to do that. So this digital fur technology that they kept referring to during the marketing. I know, I know, I know. I can I can, no. I can feel that game. I'm holding head in hands in case you can't hear that. <laughs> and so digital fur technology, it wasn't as good as they were led to believe. And what happened was the textures kept on bunching up in areas where, well, it would lead one to assume that these characters had buttholes or fannies <laughs> so very very late in the production when most of these effect shots had already been completed and a lot of these characters were running around with visible buttholes and fannies <laughs> they had to bring in a separate visual effects studio and one of which one of the artists have come forward and detailed what their job was entailed and that was day by day frame by frame they had to go through the film and erase each butthole they could see <laughs> within the frame for the entirety of the movie and that was their entire job now we spoken very recently a couple of weeks ago about the snyder cut of the film and i think if fans have gotten behind that in a big way i think the cats fans really need to you know rally themselves in the same kind of way <laughs> let's get at universal let's let's demand the release of the butthole cut <laughs> i want to see this film cats isn't horny enough we need more visible buttholes <laughs> 
So I wanted that to be our opening, you might say, into the world of cats through the butthole. Mm. I want to go through the butthole cut, squeeze ourselves through the butthole cut, and then open ourselves into the world of cats. <laughs> the pleasurable world of cats. Yeah. So Andy, your opinion of the film. Get let's let's hear it. Let's hear all of this this hate. Let the hate flow through you. I would just say it's a very poor interpretation of the stage show yeah and i think the reason is because tom hooper does not care about the stage show at all no i think he's barely even seen it i reckon he would be so arrogant as to go i'm not going to watch the show i'm going to listen to the songs and and add my own interpretation or some bullshit like that oh yeah i mean i would say there's only two musical sequences in the whole film that i think work it's one of them the railway cat no I'd actually say that's one of the worst ones for me. That is one of the ones that's regarded as the one that works in this film, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I hate it for a completely different reason. I hate it for what it jettisons from the original version that makes that number work so well in the show. Yeah. They don't use at all. And this is another staging issue that I have. But yeah, I'd say the only two numbers that work, kind of, are the first number, which is the Jellicle Cats and the Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser yeah. uh, number because it actually does something with... If it's going to abandon any form of the staging that the stage show is based on, that is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the other numbers are either ruined by other things, and I'll go into that a bit later, or yeah. I'd say about halfway into the film, they just get stuck in the theatre and they never leave the theatre until the end, which is really bizarre. It's a film of two halves. It's like they ran out of money for sets. That's honestly <laughs> what it feels like. It feels like they yeah. <laughs> they really did just run out of money, but it also felt like, I remember leaning over to my brother and saying, well, there's where the intermission is supposed to be. Yeah. I just assumed that that's what the stage show was as well. Like, it was two elaborate sets that were used. Nope. See, that's what the film led me to believe, because I actually felt for a film, it feels very confined. Like, the world feels like it exists on a corner. Well, well, the, the strange thing about the stage show is that it's it's even more confined, but that's what makes it work. But I, I understand on a stage show, whereas you make the most of a limited location because that is yeah. the nature of stage shows. Whereas yeah, yeah. with the film, it's like you give yourself free reign to open yourself up to a, a wider world. And instead, mm. it feels like rather than embrace that, they've made it really tight and claustrophobic. Well, I think that's just Tom Hooper films in a nutshell, isn't it? Like, Les Mis suffers from the same issue. Yeah, it's filming and framing. He never really lets you get to grips with the image that you're looking at. I mean, I have an issue with Tom Hooper anyway. Straight from the King's Speech. I remember watching the King's Speech, and it's this mundane BBC TV movie that Mm. started winning all these Oscars. And, And it's a type of filmmaking that is always rewarded by the Oscars. Oh, it's a proper Oscar bait movie. It is, and they always seem to respond to these television movies, the type of movies that we see as TV shows, as like Downton Abbey and stuff like that. Yeah. Week in, week out on TV over here, which I guess Americans don't have as much access to as we do, or are not as... I, I don't know, I can't... I, they must do, because they have PBS. They do. And... I think they do. They actually love it more than we do. Like, they love, you know, things like The Crown. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's... Yeah, and Downton Abbey, yeah, and... All those kind of things. But there's nothing cinematic about these films. No. Watching King's Speech as well, there's no rhyme or reason to the way his camera moves as well. He always utilises this empty space shot as well, where it's like the actor is down at one corner and then you've just got a lot of empty space that signifies nothing. And then the King's Speech as well is a film that is framed against the beginning of the Second World War. And it's treating this character overcoming a speech impediment to announce the beginning of the Second World War as a great victory. 
when really it's signifying the death of millions, yep. like tens of millions of individuals. And there's no irony on display. There's no depth or anything like that. Yeah. I couldn't help but think, what a piece of shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah, Tom Hooper makes these very, very mundane type of films that for some reason get massive amounts of traction. Until now. <laughs> Up until now, yeah. And they yeah. never say anything with any depth. They never have any more than one layer to them. But mm. they're just responded to in the right way. Mark Kermode, in, in one of his books, I can't remember which one it is, The Good, The Bad, and The Multiplex, maybe, mentions that um, the Oscars doesn't like English movies or British movies. They like movies about our royalty. They have a fascination yeah, with our royalty and our upper class. And yeah. those are the films that win the awards. Mm -hmm. And I think The King's Speech is the epitome of that. It is the ultimate example of that. Yeah, ever since I've always had just this negative reaction to Tom Hooper's movies. I will say, Cats is the first Tom Hooper movie I can truly hand and heart say I have thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> Honestly. But for all the reasons that he didn't intend. Oh, no, no, no. He would, he would hate all of the reasons why I enjoyed this film. But I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed myself hand on heart. Yeah. And I've seen it twice now and it's not going to be the last time I see it. This is... <laughs> This is a, a the it's, room it's a level. midnight movie. It really is. It's like a The Room or Trolls 2 type level movie made at $100 million. Yeah. And with talented individuals as well involved in the production. But like those movies, like The Room, he and Tommy Wiseau share something in common, which is that they think they are people with great talent. They are egos. Yeah. So, yeah. So, cats. <laughs> yeah. It's strange watching it because, bar the bizarre visuals, there are points where it almost works. But I think the thing that causes it to fall flat on its face at any moments when you get name actors coming into it, I think the actual company, which is all the basically the umbrella term for like the, the ensemble, mm -hmm. I mean, all the actors who have obviously been on set, you know, the whole time rather than the name actors who are very obviously only came for a week. Yeah, it kind of almost works because a lot of the people that they got for, I would say, the core roles of the people that are in it all the way through, they've got from a musical theatre slash ballet opera background. Yeah, and if you look on IMDb, they've not been in much else other no. than the odd ballet here and there as well, like in terms of the movie backgrounds. And they're the moments where it works were it not for the horrible visuals. Oh, yeah. But yeah, whenever you get a cameo appearance, and mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to say cameo appearance because they certainly don't fucking star in this thing. No. It absolutely falls on its face, and it's embarrassing for everyone involved. Unless you're James Corden, which I think this is the level of film that you should be acting in. Oh, James Corden is a vacuum of everything. Yeah, empty behind the eyes. I actively hate James Corden. He's someone I've never liked. His initials, JC, actually match another famous individual's. That's right, ginormous cunt. Don't yeah. do the math on this, I know I'm right. I was going to say, he's, he's, <laughs> he's definitely a see you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've heard stories about James Corden. I know I don't want to open up. So I will say, allegedly, I've heard stories about his diva-like attitude in interviews yeah. in the past. Although... I would say, ironically, he's probably the only one that gets away with it from a performance point of view, and, and I'm talking directly about the singing. Yeah. Out of all the sort of name cast. I would say, yeah, apart from Taylor Swift, actually. Oh, I have a story about Taylor Swift as well. Like, she was the one that recommended catnip be used on the during that sequence. And oh, right. Again, th th this shows how sheltered Tom Hooper is in a way. He didn't know what catnip was. <laughs> he's making a film about cats. He didn't yeah. know what catnip was. 
Like it took somebody coming up to him saying, and then I put a catnip over the cats and it makes them go crazy. And he was like, yeah, yeah, what is catnip? And it took somebody explaining, well, it's like cocaine for cats. <laughs> I, I don't understand how you can make cats and not even understand the, the basics about cats. So he's, I can imagine him like looking at concept art and saying, and what are these things with the, these tails and ears? I mean, if you're making a film about cats, you've got to do some research <laughs> into what cats do and, you know, how they move and everything. I do agree with you. I think Taylor Swift has some screen presence in this as well. It's just bizarre that, that yeah, they like, for example, Taylor Swift's character, who I think is uh, Bomblerina in the stage show, that character is part of the ensemble and is there for the entire show. Yeah. And is there to provide a lot of backing and also solo performances. So, Because one of the main things that I, I noticed, especially when it came to the name actor sections, is that in the stage show, a lot of the songs, the actual characters, the actual songs are sung by other cats talking about said character. And the character may join in for a verse or two, Yeah, but the whole notion of the cats singing in third person about themselves is something that's almost entirely invented for the film. There's so many verses that don't work because they change the format and staging of those songs. It makes yeah. the songs look really stupid. Uh, like one of the biggest ones is uh, Gus, the theatre cat. Oh, yeah. The first two verses are not sung by Gus in the show, they are sung by uh, one of the other chorus members. And obviously, they're talking about the cat in an affectionate way. But when you translate that to the actual character talking about it, it becomes incredibly egocentric and weird. Of course, yeah. You know, when he starts the thing like, Gus is the cat. It's like, you're fucking Gus. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, it, it doesn't work. Gus and it the happens time. Cat. Yeah, and it happens time and time again. I would say the weakest, weirdest, most disjointed mess of a sequence is the Jenny Anadots sequence because that is just fucking horrendous. And. Not even because of the weird mice and, and cockroaches and stuff. I mean, that's weird in itself. Mate, but... in 4K as well, I could pause it and really, really take in those designs. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I was I was so thankful. My film actually throws at a very elaborate part as well with Jenny Anadot's pointing at a crotch. I posted that up on Twitter if anybody wants to see. But yeah, I got to go through that sequence frame by frame and really take in how bad the visual effects were in this sequence, how bad yeah. the designs were. The cockroaches look truly terrifying. But even the way yeah. that the camera moves, you can see that a lot of it's done in post as well. Like the there's a part where the camera flips upside down and it's one of the most mechanical digital flips I've ever seen before. <laughs> it's like you're obviously filming these characters against a green screen and you couldn't even turn the camera upside down physically in order to do the sequence. It's something that some poor visual effects artist had to do in post. Yeah. We will refer to the effects artists as the poor visual effects artists throughout <laughs> exactly. because I genuinely thought for what they were given, they did an absolutely amazing job. Yeah, I would say it's just down to Tom Hooper's hubris and, and lack of understanding of, of how to do certain things yeah. in visual effects. I mean, to be honest, with the whole design of the characters, I genuinely don't understand why they didn't just use makeup and bodysuits and all they needed to do was maybe just digitally do the ears and the tail. Exactly. It wouldn't have made any fucking difference if they hadn't have done. I don't get it. I will say I had no interest in Cats when they first announced that they were making a Cats film. But the moment that my my ears pricked up <laughs> <laughs> was, was back when uh, I remember that they showed a behind-the-scenes snippet to some critics. It didn't have any footage of the film, but they came back and said, The Cats are humans. They, they were talking about digital fur technology and also everybody kind of had this feeling that 
it was going to be more animated than it was. And then they mm. were building these two scale sets. You could tell by the reaction to the behind the scenes footage that, oh, something truly special is happening here. <laughs> and then there was almost like a fervor around the release of the trailer then. We were genuinely excited. I will say that on Twitter, it was one of the best days I've ever had on Twitter was when that first trailer was released because everybody was just gobsmacked and astounded by what they were seeing. And I know that they've spoken as well in post about they were glad for that teaser trailer reaction because it meant that they got to work on the look of the film and and change it a little bit. But I will say I can't see that much difference between what was presented in that teaser trailer to what eventually ended up in the final film. Nope. If anything, it looks pretty much exactly the same. They decided to scale back the the catness of them and try and isolate their faces a little bit more, which, to be honest, all of the actors look like they've got floaty faces throughout the entire film anyway. Oh, yeah. So this is a, a fundamental error that I think the director made. So like we were talking about before with the visual effects, with most films doing something like this where it's a, I would say it's a kind of hybrid performance capture situation, you would have all the technology implemented at the start and like we were saying before with the body suits and the dots and everything like that, any kind of reference. Yeah. Even them wearing a costume with the fur, with the lighting conditions, things like that, yeah. that they would need. Yeah. That like the visual effects artists said they need reference tracking, texture reference, lighting reference, all that kind of stuff. Doesn't look like they did any of that in production. No. So everything's had to have been done by hand and based on the judgment of the artists. And obviously, yeah. when you're dealing with that many characters for you know a near two-hour film, that's very difficult. And the fundamental error, the thing where I genuinely think Tom Hooper does not understand cats or, or has even watched the fucking thing, the show is fundamentally about movement. Yeah. And doing it this way, any motion tracking should have been prioritised because what you get is a strange approximation of the original performance, which is why it looks so weird and jerky and, and why everything moves around so strangely. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that should have been prioritised and it obviously wasn't because Tom Hooper's an absolute twat and a tool Yeah, and he just didn't understand how to implement any of this, which is why it comes off as so shit. I mean, I thoroughly agree and I will say that if you do want to do a watch of this film that is just simply to view the visual effects problems throughout all of the defects which are still very much apparent i would say that the two places or maybe three places for you to divert your attention would be the cuffs of the characters as well because it's like got a very stark distinction between like actors hands and where the fur begins and the actors hands begin like and on the face as well you can see where the face has just been kind of placed onto this character. Mm. So I would say look for the cuffs where the fur starts because that's always changing on shot. It like goes going up the arm and down the arm and up the arm and down the arm. And also look at the collars as well because the collars look like they've been... They look far too 2D. There's no light across them or anything yeah. like that. There's no change of light. It looks like it's just been... So it looks like it's been put on in MS Paint or something, just <laughs> slapped on there. And you can really see how the fur interacts with the collars because it keeps on clipping through the actual actor themselves as well. So yeah, look at those places, the collars and the cuffs and obviously the faces as well because that's where all of the magic is happening. Yeah. And uh, you'll see that nothing ever matches up. I noticed watching this film as well, I saw parts where people's hands disappeared. I saw a part where someone's wrist disappeared and sent you a picture of it. And you can also see around the edges of them sometimes their green screen suit. Yeah. And this is a version of the film as well. After they released this film, 
they then released a second version of this film in theaters with yeah. some of the defects corrected apparently yeah from what i can see there's so many on display that it's it's like there must have been just a drop in the ocean in terms of what they corrected it's a bad idea from the start so you can tinker it all you want it, it's never going to work yeah it's like there's that saying that it's like polishing a turd and the CG artists have been ordered to make the turd by Bob. So it's Tom Hooper's turd, but yeah. many hundreds of people have been involved in the creation of this turd. Against their own will, I imagine. It, I mean, can you imagine working on this film? What, what oh, it means man. for your effects company now as well? Because I think about Rebel Wilson and James Corden at the Oscars making that speech in which they walk out dressed as in their cat suits and say, they make a joke about, oh, we understand the importance of good visual effects. It's like, fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. Uh, I generally thought that was despicable. Yeah. I thought Rebel Wilson was better than that as well. I, I expected it of James Corden, but not Rebel Wilson. E- exactly. Um, to be honest as well, I- I've never had a thing against Rebel Wilson or anything like that, but she does not shine in this film. No, she's so woefully miscast. I would say if you're going to watch any clips of the 98 video version, that would be the number to watch to show how different it is. And also, again, how Tom Hooper's just not watched the show. He definitely yeah. not watched the show. Because the idea of that cat is the fact that, obviously, she has the fur on the top and then she unzips it. Yeah. So the idea is that in the show, it's uh, a normal actor playing it and she's got this huge like coat fur suit on so she's meant to be a layabout and then when it comes to nighttime she zips it off and she's thin and limber and then she's teaching all these mice how to dance and and sew and everything and so it's just played by a normal company actor yeah in this huge suit and then they zip it off and then they're all thin and limber and lithe and can move around and that's the that's the the point of the fucking character <laughs> uh, so to cast an actor of uh, of size I'm going to say, to do that role, that's not what the character's supposed to be. And I imagine they were quite nervous about that character because obviously, yeah, it is basically about someone wearing a fat suit and then unzipping their fat suit. But in the context of the show, it works because it's stylized. But when they try and go for this realistic, styly, whatever the fuck that was. And when she takes off the suit as well in the in the film, she's still a joke. Oh, yeah. It, nothing changes in terms of her character. It's not like there's an extra dimension to it. It just feels like no. part of the joke. And there's, there's a part as well with her where she does this breakdancing bit as well, like, oh, oh I can do that. And it feels like it's been... It feels like there was supposed to be somebody else in the shot with her because she says, I can do that. And then you hear somebody else off shot say, go on then, or something like that. I don't know whose voice that is. It's just an ad lib that they filmed, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And the thing is, with that, it made me groan because time and time again, they kept ruining my favourite songs yeah. with shit like that. And like I said, I loved the Rum Tum Tugger as a character and as a song when I was little. Again, people, you can clip that out yourselves. I love the Rum Tum Tugger. Make it your <laughs> uh, your ringtones. We're going to be selling I love Rum Tum Tugger <laughs> t-shirts on in our shop. <laughs> but yeah, splitting up a song like that with... So rather questionable ad-libbing yeah. for a character as well who's just supposed to be a character for that particular song and then never appears again. That's the other thing I have an issue with where they've tried to shoehorn this plot. A lot of these characters are one-time number characters. They, they shouldn't appear throughout the rest of the thing because that's not what it's about. Yeah. I think that's where it sort of emphasises the lack of a plot by doing that. Yeah. And again, why it shouldn't be a film in any way. It shouldn't be a film. But the fact that they did that, it made it all the more glaring. Yeah. But yeah, splitting up that song with the ad-libs was pretty shocking, I would say, and completely undermined the actual number that was going on. Yeah. 
That's where you can generally really tell that Tom Hooper does not give a shit about musicals in general. I want to go back to a point you were making as well about actors involved in this film because it does have quite a cast of actors involved, like uh, named yeah. actors. Uh, obviously, we've already mentioned James Corden. We've mentioned Rebel Wilson. Now, one of them was actually a surprise to me. And when I first saw this film, um, at one point, during the Teaser and Mungo Jerry. Mungo Jerry and Teaser. yeah. That's the one. During their whole number, there's a point in which you hear a dog barking. And I leant over to my brother and I said, oh, wouldn't it be fucking great if Ray Winston was playing a dog? He's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a fucking dog, you sappy gun. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> like, come here, you mug. And I was yeah. like, oh, it would be amazing. And then Ray Winston turned up like a scene later. <laughs> and I, I howled. I howled because I was oh. like, oh, that, this, is, this is perfect. This is like perfectly oh. bad. Like every bad thing that I could think of. It happened. It was happening right in front of me. It's like, oh, yes, please, Ray Winston. The only thing is, obviously, he doesn't play a dog, but just to have him turn up as well. I think the best aspect of that is that he's playing a character that's actually now cut from the show. Oh, really? Yeah, his number is called Growl Tiger's Last Stand, which is actually one of the poems in the book. But it runs to like, I think it's about a nine minute long song. It's quite a long sequence yeah. in the show. And I think when they revived it recently, they cut it out for time, I think. But yeah, he's oh, actually right. playing. And the song that he sings is a very short snippet from that song. So yeah, I find it funny that he, yeah, he, one, he's on the sidelines anyway, because it's obviously he's really he, was on there the sidelines. For a, he was there for a day, I imagine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the fact that he's singing a song that's been cut from the show and he's a character that's been cut from the show <laughs> just sums everything up really, doesn't it? It does. I'm also going to say something, talking about the songs, I'm also going to say something that you may find controversial. Mm -hmm. Again, I had not heard a single song from Cats before seeing this film. The most that I had heard was, I didn't know Memory was actually from this film, actually, weirdly mm -hmm. enough, the most popular song. So I was quite surprised when that turned up in the trailer. The only other one I came to find out was, we have a cat, we have two cats called uh, Merry and Pippin, and my wife likes to sing Magical Mr. Merry Cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't know that that was from this film. So that, that was the extent, really, of my knowledge of the music. And on the opening of the film, when it opens on that skyline with the cat face in it, and then you heard the, the synthesizers, mm -hmm. I burst out laughing. Yeah. Because I did not expect that. And I don't know, it probably works for the stage show, but the image and the music did not marry up from yeah. frame one. And during the whole first sequence as well, I know you mentioned it's one of the stronger ones, uh, the Jellicle Cat song. First off, my notes do say about three or four times, and each time I write it, it's gone increasingly bigger. What is a Jellicle Cat? Yeah. What is a Jellicle Cat? No one fucking knows. Right <laughs> Right on. Okay. <laughs> so it's, I think only T.S. Eliot knows that. But I, I was shocked by like, I don't know if it's just because it was the, um, the staging of it or anything like that as well, but the music just felt off to me throughout it does it's, it's not it does. something that like it, this is not something that made me want to see the stage show obviously but straight from the off i found the music as funny as the visual effects were bad yeah i understand that i think that's just down to how they've altered some of the songs as well yeah like you were talking about mr mistopheles i fucking hated the version that they did in this film versus the the one that's in the show well, it's, it's so dull well i was basically saying uh, the other thing i wrote 
was they keep ruining my favorite songs for the sake of the plot <laughs> most of the versions of the songs in this are actually not very good versions of the songs i mean in my youth i absolutely loved the show and i think it's a really good musical for kids because they don't have to concentrate on things like plot and it's just about characters and little stories about these characters i think it's a really good show for kids i but- can agree with you from what i know from the stage show is that it is something that i think my i've got a daughter she's four years old a couple yeah. of years time i think she'd be primed for the likes of cats she loves watching stage shows at home and stuff like that i think she would get a, a huge kick out of the the stage show but yeah i freely admit it's definitely not the best musical that was ever written yeah but it's i think it's pretty good for what it is like if you you know view it in context but yeah i think that the songs have been treated really badly and i don't think the um recording the audio at the same time as doing the performance really helps there's a big difference between performing something on stage in front of an audience versus on a film set. Yeah. I think it worked for some of the solo songs in Les Mis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one that people always go back to is the Anne Hathaway song. That always seems to be brought out as the advert for that technology. Yeah. But it really doesn't work in, in this context because it's a much more stylized thing. They should have recorded everything prior to doing the film. That's definitely a problem with Tom Hooper's musicals, and I really don't see it being the type of thing that will catch on. But I generally think a lot of it's ruined by the fact that a lot of the people who they are getting to sing the songs can't fucking sing. No. Uh, The biggest one for me, which actually was a surprise when I read about it, was um, Judi Dench, because she has that whole song at the end of the film, which is the addressing of the cats. Yeah. She was supposed to be in the original production of Cats, Playing Grizabella. Oh, really? And Jenny Anidots, yeah. She apparently like sprained her ankle prior to the show, so she was replaced by Elaine Page, but I actually genuinely think for the better. Because I've read about Judy Dench and her relationship with musicals, and it sounds like she did a long-running cabaret in this show, but apart from that, not very much. And it seems like she never had a particularly great singing voice anyway. Like, it's described as being croaky. That was something I was going to mention anyway. Judy Dench doesn't strike me as somebody with a great singing voice. Even no. in this, they give her more roles in which she's allowed to just simply talk. Yes, yeah, like sing-speak. I will say that she has probably the most infuriating song as well at the end of the film, in which she essentially turns to the camera and addresses the audience and tells them, well, yeah. now that you've seen Cats and you understand what we as cats are, and I was like, what? I understand nothing. I nearly threw my chair through my computer. <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's like, honestly, it's like um, that a cat is not a dog, I think, is the, the way that it ends. Yeah. I didn't know what the fuck this is about. I was just yeah. as confused as I was at the beginning. Right. Now, to put this in context, right. So, Old Deuteronomy. Old Duke, that's it. Is usually played by one, a man. Yes. That's by and the by, but usually a very physically imposing man. So, if you imagine that in the original stage show, Old Deuteronomy is played by Brian Blessed. Right, yeah. Okay. And in the 98 film version, Old Deuteronomy is played by Ken Page. Now, Ken Page is a American musical theatre guy, and he is the voice of the Oogie Boogie Man in Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, okay. And also, King Gator in All Dogs Go to Heaven. I know we were talking about that Actually, no, we were talking about that on the Titan AE episode. We were, yeah. So he actually does the voice and singing voice of those characters. So if you can imagine that song done in a very low bass by... Um, it's kind of like uh, Mufasa-ish. You know, you're talking like your James Earl Jones type. I can hear it. I can hear it already from what you mentioned, the actor. And you've got this big, imposing man who's like the father of all the cats singing, now you understand about the cats. It works so much better. Yeah. 
as that. How they've chosen to stage it and who they've chosen to play that part, it's abysmal. Yeah. And it's one of those things that works so well in the show that they've made certain changes to the point where the thing just doesn't work anymore. They've broken it. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, that that applies to pretty much the entirety of the yeah. film. You can see as well Judy Dench's wedding ring throughout the film. Oh, yeah. She's wearing several rings. Yes. They keep on appearing and disappearing. That's the yeah. attention to detail on display here. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't got into the main actor as well that I want to talk about. I will say the main actor that I do want to talk about is Idris Elba as McCavity. Oh, fucking hell. I, I really do fancy Jesus having a good chat about that. Fucking Christ. Again, the context that I had about this film in terms of its narrative context was, as I mentioned, like 20 cats introduce themselves and then one of them dies. That was all I had coming into this. I did not expect that cat to disappear on a giant balloon chandelier into the London skyline. That made me think that this is the type of ritual that happens once a year and somewhere at the other side of London there's some penthouse at this block of flats where the same time every year a fucking cat chandelier lands on their penthouse roof and it's like, I can imagine the fucking person from inside the house going up there and going, what the fuck's going on? Another fucking dead cat in a balloon up here. (laughs) Same time every fucking year. What's going on? That's definitely a symptom of them doing their restaging. Yeah. Because that's not what happens in the show. I mean, in the show, I think it's a... Because um, obviously the whole show is set in a junkyard, which is why moving it from the junkyard to central London is strange in of itself. But yeah, the whole show in the original staging is the junkyard. And at the end, that sequence, it's a big like tractor tire or something that raises up, you know, that's on its side that raises oh, right. up and down on a winch or a hydraulic thing. Yeah. And there's a big moon in the background. So there's a night sky at the back of the stage and there's a big moon. So what happens is when Grizabella, she walks on top of this tire, it raises up and then she basically walks through the moon. Oh, right. And it's all done stylized and she just walks through the moon. So none of this fucking chandelier business is in this. This is all invented for the film. Right. (laughs) Again, this is where they've made something that actually works fine in context in the show and just made it fucking weird for the film. Yeah. That's the whole fucking (laughs) film. They've made it weird. The original show, you can definitely interpret as being weird, but when you're actually sitting there in the theatre and... Actually, this is probably a good thing for me to talk about, the staging. Oh, of course, yeah. So when they made the original show, it was very difficult to get investors involved. So yeah, basically, Andrew Lloyd Webber put a lot of his own money into the hiring of the theatre and they basically had to gut the theatre and rebuild it on the inside because and it took about it was cost nearly a million pounds to do oh wow and which a lot of it was his own money that he'd made off other shows that he'd done in the 70s he remortgaged his house to do the show and if everything had gone wrong he would not be where he is now this is going to show how little i know about andrew lloyd webber and musicals in general but is this a post phantom of the opera no this is before any of that phantom of the opera is 1986 Ah, so it goes cats uh, Star Express, and I think there's another one in between there, and then Phantom of the Opera. So Phantom of the Opera is a beneficiary of the success of Cats. Right. So it's almost like Cats kickstarted this whole exploration yeah. of musical theatre. Yeah. So the theatre that they had was the New London Theatre, and I think it's almost like right on the edge of the West End. It's one of the lesser known ones because they didn't have a load of money to rent one of the bigger ones. The original production was directed by Trevor Nunn, who's quite a famous West End director. And the idea was to not make it like a proscenium-style production. So what they did was basically make a half theatre in the round with a huge revolving stage in the middle, of which some of the stalls are actually attached to the revolving section. So, And I was on those stalls when I watched the show. So when the show starts, the 
stage is actually not facing the the majority of the audience it's turned around and the whole theater is kitted out like a junkyard so you are sitting in this junkyard you're not in a theater right you're sitting in a junkyard and when the thing starts this is going back to the weird synthesizer music so it's dark all the cats are coming in they've got glow-in-the-dark eyes so it's like it's kind of creepy and they're all walking through with these glow-in-the-dark eyes and the whole stage revolves around. Oh, right. It's something quite spectacular. So instantly you know. there's a context for that weird, synthy, creepy music yeah. that the film begins with. Yeah. That it doesn't match the film's visuals whatsoever. No, not at all. I can kind of place it into context now, knowing how it begins as well. Yeah. That kind of sets up this entire film's failings straight off. This is what I mean in terms of even if you don't like it, you would appreciate cats being an experience because you are, I think Trevor Nunn referred to it as an environment rather than a set. So you're in this environment. You're completely, it's all encompassing. Yeah. And the idea is that because it's set in the junkyard, they use the junk as props. So, for example, when Jenny Anadots is teaching the mice it's the cats dressed up as the mice but they've got these big mice masks on which are constructed out of junk and when they do the skimble shanks they create a huge train out of bicycle spokes as the wheels so it's really quite imaginative it's great i mean it's a triumph of staging i would say and that's i think that's half the appeal of the show yeah is the way that it's actually staged and i would say unless you've seen it in that context you can't really fully appreciate it because like, i never went to see it when it was on a touring production because i knew it just wouldn't be the same i made the mistake of doing that when i watched star express at the lowry yeah and it was shit <laughs> i mean again star express is another one which is a triumph of staging because if you watch the original production at the apollo victoria they gutted the theater and made huge gantries so people could do the roller skate races yeah. all around the theater and there's racetracks everywhere so that's where these musicals should just stay as fucking musicals <laughs> yeah definitely that's the be all and end all of this they should have never have made this film some things simply don't translate like especially if it's that type of what you've just described as being an immersive experience in which yeah you are essentially part of the environment you are part of that environment and you are utilized by that production as well you're not going to be able to replicate that in a film setting not at all the only way that you can go really is by making your film its own thing and again, I think from the sounds of it, this film is neither one nor the other. Yeah. More much like the, the weirdness of the cat characters themselves. Yeah, you can definitely tell that they tried to make it its own thing, but in doing so, missed what was appealing about the original show. Yeah. The thing that I don't understand, right, is how, even though it's not a film I particularly like, how Tom Hooper went from doing Les Miserables, yeah. which is another beneficiary of Cats. I don't think that would have happened without Cats. But I genuinely thought, if he was doing another musical, the logical thing for him to do was to have made Miss Saigon. That's honestly what everybody thought he was going to do next. Which in itself is a spiritual sequel to Les Miserables, because it's the same songwriters, and yeah. it's got a lot of connective tissue, and it's very similar stylistically. It's got that kind of realism. There was even talk at the time that said if Les Miz was going to make a certain amount of money, Miss Saigon was a shoe-in for a cinematic adaption. I just think as a film, it would work so much better because it's got that kind of Vietnam War yeah. setting. I think it would suit his visual style a lot more, being a, a lot more grounded. And yeah, just the style of the songs and the way that their song is just more similar to Les Miserables. So I don't understand, one, why he agreed to make this film, because I don't think he has any interest in it. And two, why he chose to make the film with similar techniques to how he made Les Mis, because it's chalk and cheese. I think it goes back to that Ridley Scott comment. I think it goes back to being called highbrow. 
and like, oh, your films are highbrow, and him taking offense that this is, well, I can do something that isn't as grounded, that's whimsical. Yeah. And no, no, you can't. Stick to your mundane BBC movies. Yeah. Actually, I hope he doesn't. I hope he still makes more films like this because, as I said, this was incredibly enjoyable for me. <laughs> this is a, this is exactly the train wreck that I love. And speaking of train wrecks, Idris Elba in this film. Oh, fuck. Really like Idris Elba. Everybody likes Idris Elba. Charismatic. He's got talent. This is not his best role. In certain areas. I think that's another thing. that like It's like they've done an ip-dip do in the, in the talent guide. Yeah. Going, oh, yeah, that'd be fine. Rather than going, <laughs> do you have a background in musical theatre? Can you sing? It's like the Russell Crowe thing in Les Mis, but blown up big. I mean, at least Russell Crowe does actually have some sort of musical background, even if it's not yeah. in musical theatre. But Idris Elba, you know what it made me think of? I felt sorry for him in a way that I felt sorry for Mark Strong watching The Brothers Grimsby. Yeah. The Brothers Grimsby has a scene in which Mark Strong has to hide from some bad guys inside an elephant's vagina. <laughs> And then that elephant is then fucked by another elephant and he gets covered in elephant cum and it's very graphic. This film made me feel as bad for Idris Elba as I felt as bad for Mark Strong watching that film. This was essentially Idris Elba being covered in elephant cum. This is the level of, of embarrassment oh. I felt for him. Especially every time he turns up and he goes away, he goes, Bacavity! I don't know. He is, in all effect, creating that character. That character does not appear in the show as a character. Because, like, the song McCavity is sung by somebody else, which is how it is in the show. And I think it's someone just dressed up as McCavity. Or if he does appear, he's literally just like, he's a blanket and you'll miss him. My wife told me that McCavity, this is something that she told me a long time ago, in fact. Mm. She, she was singing the McCavity song. McCavity's yeah. not there. Because she's seen Cats. And yeah, she yeah. said that for this song, they're talking about a character that you never see. No. It's almost like... <laughs> Is it just something that these cats blame when something bad happens that they've done? Yeah, it's like a curse kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, it's like he's the scapegoat yeah. for all the bad things that happen here. And that's what she described it as. And then when I watched the film and McCavity turned up, I thought, surely she's got it wrong. <laughs> but <it's> not, <laughs> not that the no, film was again, wrong. Tom Pooper's got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, so McCavity is not really in the show. As you've mentioned, if you do see him, no. it's just a glimpse. Yeah, and again, it's that thing where I obviously imagine Tom Hooper's going, oh yeah, I really want to work with Idris Elba. Well, how can we get him in this film? Oh yeah, McCavity. <laughs> That's a character in the thing, isn't it? There's a song about him. <laughs> and I generally feel like the whole plot of this film is based on somebody who has a very poor understanding of the show. Yeah. And maybe not even seen it and gone, oh yeah, there's those, we can do something with those. Yeah, cool. Sorted. <laughs> Like, none of this bullshit on the barge and these characters disappearing and everything. None of that's in the... Yeah. None of it should be in the... It just... I, I don't know. He also looks the creepiest when he's not wearing any clothes at all. Oh, yeah, Jess... What, we watched it with Jess last night. She was like, Idris Elba's just it's weirdly naked in this film, like, when he's not wearing his coat. Some of the cats look more naked than others, and he's yeah. certainly the most naked of the cats. Yeah. I felt like I was looking at it between my fingers, like, I shouldn't be seeing <laughs> this. This is, this is like Brian De Palma levels of... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I was... Uh, yeah, McCavity is 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 one of the high slash low points of the film for me. I yeah, very much enjoy that character and his terribleness. But poor Idris Elba. I think one of the other things I want to talk about and something that really annoyed Jess in the film was um, Grizabella's snot. 
Oh my god, right? Oh, but she's always just dribbling from the nose. And Jess was like, you have to have cried significantly for that to happen. Yeah. And it's like, it just magically appears like every time she speaks. I think she's got hay fever. Oh, I, yeah. I think, I think that's it. She's not crying. She's just got severe hay fever. Um, I have very severe misgivings about that performance anyway. I just think it's not very well done. Again, they've tried to do that Anne Hathaway thing yeah. with memory and it, it just doesn't work. After the film, I immediately played just some clips of the show, the 98 version, and showed her the Elaine Page performance of memory and she immediately preferred it. It had a lot more nuance and emotion to it. <laughs> well, when I went with my brother, he's more inclined towards musicals, as you might say. Yeah. He's yeah. also a fan of Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. And he said they've done Jennifer Hudson a dirty with this film. Yeah. He says yeah. it's just not got any depth to it whatsoever. And he really likes the original memory song as well. I also watched the Lindsay Ellis Why Is Cats video essay. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. Which I recommend that everybody watch. I've tried not to repeat any of the points that she does mention in that essay. Yeah. But she mentions in that as well that with the Anne Hathaway song in Les Mis, they have her hitting high notes while she's sat down, which is just impossible to do. Mm. It's Tom Hooper as well, not understanding the nature of musicals and what singing on set's going to mean. That means that these characters, if you have them sat down at a certain point, they're not going to be able to hit the notes that they would if they were stood on a stage. So I think that kind of sums up his understanding of musicals in a nutshell. So even when I see the type when I see an actress like uh, or a singer like Jennifer Hudson not performing to her best, you don't blame Jennifer Hudson. <laughs> no, no. It's what Tom Hooper's brought to this film. This is essentially the outcome of his directing. I remember when last night we were watching the um, the Jellicle Ball sequence, which is the extended dance sequence in the in the sort of middle of the film. Yeah, and the way that is staged. And Jess basically, she's never seen Cats either, but she was like, "I'm supposed to watch this live, right? Yeah, this would work live, wouldn't it?" And I was like, "Yes, it does." Because she wasn't getting anything out of it. No. Again, it's a very tricky thing to make a film version of a musical, and, and more often not. It's a bit like video game adaptations. It more often it fails than it succeeds. Yeah. And it's only usually when like the musicals are created specifically for the film medium that it works. I mean, the best example of that is animation. Yeah. So like all those early. 90s Disney films and stuff like that. I, I agree. Now, I'm just going to move over as well to some stacks and facts about Cats. We're going to just delve into how this film was received, how this film was infamously received by the critics. And uh, yeah. I've got some stats about the show, which might be a good contrast as well, to show how much it failed versus its potential audience. Would you like to go through the uh, set our expectations with some information about the West End show? So just to give some context, if you're not already aware. So Cats opened on the 11th of May 1981 in the New London Theatre and closed in the same location 21 years later to the day. And it didn't move. So that's a quite impressive yeah, because is, even yeah. other long-running shows, they have moved theatre. Because I know Les Mis has moved theatre a couple of times. The Lion King's moved theatres. So that's in the same location for 21 years, non-stop. It's still the sixth longest-running West End show. It's the fourth longest-running Broadway show. And it didn't wow. even run for as long on Broadway. It ran for about 18 years on Broadway. And it's got numerous productions all around the world. It's very popular in Japan. They have a purpose-built theatre in Japan built for cats. Of course it's popular in Japan. And its worldwide gross has been $3.5 billion. Okay, so instantly we're setting this up to be something that is well-regarded by audience members. It's well-known. Yep. It's a known brand that clearly people no one understand. 
Now, yeah, I will say, yeah, yeah, it's popular. That's the thing that all we're around the world, all, all around the world, not just in Britain and America. Like it's all around the world. So you would expect this, just in principle, to be yeah. a huge success. Yeah, you would expect that at least like the open weekend, for example, would be massive. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, unfortunately, I don't have the open weekend. I do have that the budget was ninety-five million dollars, and the overall box office for the film was seventy-five million. $75 million. So it didn't even make back its budget. I mean, $75 million for the type of popularity that this brand has. You would expect yeah. $75 million would be just the opening in America alone. And it being a Christmas movie as well. Yeah, exactly. It being a poised for success as a Christmas movie. There is the rumor that as well that Universal took a lot of money out of this film once the first trailer was released because it went from being a surefire success to not quite a surefire success nope. anymore. <laughs> its success was uncertain. So they uh, they redistributed some of the budget elsewhere. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and also, now, in regards to the critics, the film has on Rotten Tomatoes 21%. And just to, as well, match that up in terms of its average score, that's 3.69 out of 10 from the critics, which is bad. Now, there are a few puns within the uh, critics' consensus, so do bear with me. Now, despite its formidable cast, this cat's adaption is a clawful mistake that will leave most viewers begging to be put out of the musery. I imagine that's supposed to be misery. However, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 53%. Mm. It's like 3 out of 5. However, the IMDb score is 2.7 out of 10, which puts it at number 25 (laughs) in the bottom rated films of all time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite an achievement. I do remember when it came out, some critics suggesting that Tom Hooper should hand back his Oscar. Yes, it is. It is that level. To be honest, the Oscar is debatable anyway from my point yeah. of view, but certainly after this, it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. If he isn't in movie jail following this film for a while, I mean, I kind of hope he isn't. I hope he still does something that's crazy as cats. Again, I, I really wish it was Starlight Express. That would have been amazing. Oh, Tom Hooper's Starlight be... Express. No, thank you. <laughs> but there's something wrong with the industry if because you get so many, so many directors and so many directors that are people of colour or female directors that they make one film that doesn't do well and then they can't get a job again and I do get the feeling that Tom Hooper will be working again in like six months time after (laughs) because this apparently lost as well something like 75 to 100 million dollars for Universal as well yeah there has to be some repercussion for that sadly there probably won't be no (laughs) they'll blame other things so Andy um we're coming up to our summary now I just want to ask uh, do you have any final thoughts about Cats that you'd uh well, I will ask you, is this a film that you would recommend as well? No. <laughs> Actually, the other big comment I was going to make about the execution of this piece is for a piece that's based on a collection of poems, Yeah. the um, inspiration has been something literary. Yeah. You can't hear the fucking words half the time in the film. No. The way it's been like mixed and presented, I genuinely can't hear a lot of what they're even singing about. Which is weird. And again, it just goes back to how he just doesn't give a fuck about the whole fucking thing. There you are, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I will say... If, you of, don't give a fuck. Of the words that I do actually hear in the film, I did feel like I needed some sort of glossary to, to, to go back to, to have a look through and, and see what, what, what these words meant. Some sort of yeah. translation. But this is just where I think the, where the stage show works better because, one, the pronunciation is much better, but also because of the way that they're using the visuals and the yeah. props and everything. You understand the cats a lot more. So when you get to that addressing of the cats song at the end, yeah, you do kind of understand a bit more about the cats. Yeah. Whereas in the film, that's not what happens. It seems to me like... I mean, I'm going to make a reference to Lord of the Rings, but it seems to me like (laughs) it's like watching Fellowship for the first time, in which I walked into Fellowship not having read Lord of the Rings and only having a cursory knowledge of fantasy in that Middle-earth world. And once I finished Fellowship, there was a lot that I didn't understand about the world, but I wanted to know more. I think I mentioned Mm -hmm. this in a Warcraft episode as well. Yeah. And I guess... That's what Cats wants to have you feel as well. And it sounds to me like the stage show succeeds at that. Like you've mentioned, you you leave Cats thinking, yeah, I know a little bit more about these characters and their world and their society. And mm-hmm. with the film, I was like, I've never wanted to drown Cats more than <laughs> I did watching this Especially film. Especially mutant Cats. <laughs> oh, these Cats will be going down the canal. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find a, a bag big enough. That's what a Jellicle Cat is. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, so so my final thoughts are, um, in regards to this film, is it a film that I would recommend? Absolutely, I would recommend this. It is definitely a film that you should watch. Everybody should watch it at least once. This will be like the type of film... It's a rites of passage film. It is a rites of passage film, and it, I imagine <laughs> it's going to have the type of um, legacy that the Star Wars Christmas special has, in which Tom Hooper is likely never going to be able to burn the amount of copies that he wants to following the yeah, uh, success yeah. of this film but uh, yeah i think this is this is a wonderfully bad movie the perfect bad movie yeah i mean in, in some sense this has had a profound impact on you sorry i did a pun i said it's the perfect bad oh, movie i no. didn't even mean it no. sorry oh, i was gonna say my experience of watching the stage show in its original location as a child aged four or five had a very profound impact on me and this has had a similar impact on you <laughs> it has. for completely different reasons yeah mine no. was wonder and awe and yours was <laughs> disgust and and bewilderment that's it <laughs> utterly I, I will say as well that i mentioned earlier that i did tweet that i was watching this film and i had straight from that tweet people who didn't follow me on twitter were suddenly asking me did you just buy cats why have you bought cats? I'm like, you. I don't know who you are. <laughs> and people are asking me straight off, like, how could somebody spend money on this film? And it is that type of film. But yeah, it's certainly one that I would recommend as a rites of passage. Yeah. If you're a fan of the musical and haven't seen it yet, then I wouldn't recommend it because it's one of those films that would definitely piss off the core audience for yeah. the musical, which I generally think why it hasn't made its numbers. If it's managing to piss off people who actually genuinely like the show. And definitely it seems to be that way, given what all the YouTube comments are. Yeah. Then that is the fundamental reason why it didn't make its money back. I mean, if it, if it had been awful, but hadn't pissed off people who liked the show, it would have been awful, but made money. But it's it's failed in yeah. so many different areas that it's reflected in, in its uh, lack of success. <laughs> but I do think that there is opportunity there for this film 
to become a midnight movie as you did oh totally it's going to be a a cult classic of bad movies and i don't think this is the last time that we've seen it in the cinema we're going to find it in little independent cinemas midnight movie huge gatherings to come and see cats and throw spoons at the screen as they do in the uh the room i think this is going to be the cat's legacy and i I look forward to participating to be honest It's um yeah it was it was a great experience for me for all of the wrong reasons it was yeah. the hardest I had laughed at a film for many years. <laughs> so yeah so that has been cats. Ooh. So um yeah join us next week when Andy and I will be taking a trip from I guess the London West End all the way to the fantasy realm of Willow. I do believe it is Willow next week, is that correct? It is Willow, yes. Yeah, this is yes. your choice, so hopefully it'll be... The long-anticipated Willow. It, it has, we've had it on the list for quite some time, and it's actually on our um, our old Best Forgotten Movies poster as well. Yeah, it's the only film that we haven't actually done an episode on yet, this bit that was on the old poster. That'll be the, the final one ticks off our list. But for now, I will say that it's a bye from myself, Gareth. Bye-bye. And bye from me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Anything about who wow, who wow, No. Rum Tum Tugger is a terrible bore. When you let me in, then I wanna go out. If I can't get out The Rum Tum Tiger is a curious cat mm. And there isn't any use for you to doubt And he will do as he do do And there's no doing anything about Oh, 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 oh